you thankful for that grace that covers us. Amen. Amen. It's good to be in church today. We're going to get into the word of the Lord here this morning. Amen. I want to turn your attention to the book of Isaiah, beginning in chapter 58. And I want to direct your attention to a portion of scripture I don't believe I've ever really preached from. But as I was just in my own personal time of devotion, God just kind of led me to this scripture this week. And, and so I, I want to just share with you kind of the thought out of my own just personal time here, personal prayer time. Amen. And it's a challenging portion of scripture. The book of Isaiah, this is widely known as uh, the, the chapter on fasting. And there's some very important principles here, not just about fasting, but about God's will for us as we seek Him. There's an interesting thing I've never seen here before. In Isaiah chapter 58, I'm going to read the whole chapter. Now, if you were here Wednesday night, you read two whole books of the Bible with me. Amen. We read 2 John and 3 John, and so now we're getting ready to read a whole chapter, but there's not many verses, so just hang tight. The Bible says, cry aloud. He's talking to Isaiah. Do not hold back. He says, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Now get this. This is what God's telling Isaiah. Here's what I want you to do. Declare to my people their transgressions, to the house of Jacob their sins. I don't know about you, but I think preaching ought to include some good old-fashioned preaching on repentance. You ought not want a preacher that's just going to preach to you what you want to hear, what your flesh wants to hear, what, what, what your will is. Don't just preach to me, preacher, what, what, I, what you think I want to hear. Preach to me the Word of God. Preach to me the Scripture. Preach to me the truth. So God says, Isaiah, I'm giving you permission. Point it out. Preach it. Talk about it. Talk about their transgressions because here's the problem. They seek me daily. They delight to know my ways. As if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. This is, this is, this is deep. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. He says, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it, God? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Yes, it's a day for him to bow down his head like a reed, and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him. Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Now let me just explain what's happening in this chapter. God is saying to Isaiah now, Isaiah I want you to speak to my people and I want you to point out their sins. Be clear, be direct. 
Talk about it. Explain to them where their transgression is because Isaiah, there's a very serious problem in my people, in the nation, in the church. Here it is. Here's what he says. He says, my people seek me. They delight in me. They, they even come in prayer and in seeking and in sacrifice. They delight to know my word. They delight to know my law. They delight to be in church. They delight to be in presence. They, 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 they come. They enjoy it. But here's the problem. They're, they're not dealing with the sin in their life. It's as if they're, they think it's acceptable to live for me, to serve me without really allowing me to transform them. They enjoy my word, but they no longer allow it to change them. And so preach to them, Isaiah. They come to me with prayer and they come to me with fasting, but there's no transformation. And so he's going through, he's giving them the list. Here's what I want to happen. I want you to undo the straps of the yoke in your life, to let the oppressed go free, to, to remove the bonds of wickedness. Verse 7. Don't just say you're fasting so that you can make more money. Don't just say you're fasting so you can continue on in your carnality. But, but you need to make sure you're sharing your bread with the hungry. Bring the homeless poor into the house. When you see the naked, to cover him and to not hide yourself from your own flesh. Don't just keep living selfishly. Allow this to be an opportunity to get your focus on those who are in need. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall bring, spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Keep going. Then you shall call on the Lord. He will answer you. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the fingers and the speaking wickedness. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted, then shall your, right, light, your light rise in the darkness and your gloom as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire. Hear this, in the scorched places of your life. And make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, you're doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight in the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own way or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride in the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. In other words, you want a word from God, I've got a word from God. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. I want to take you to one more portion of Scripture here, maybe two more. 1 Corinthians. The Bible says, Now these things happen unto them as an example, but they were written down to us for our instruction to whom the end of the age has come. He was referring to the children of Israel who fell in the wilderness. He says it's just like us in our Christian walk. Just because he called you out of Egypt, just because you passed through the Red Sea, just because you've been led by the Spirit doesn't mean you don't, it's not impossible for you to backslide, to fall in the wilderness. Therefore, here it is, let him who thinks that he stands tall take heed lest he fall. One more portion of Scripture, Jude chapter 1, verse 24 rather. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence 
of his glory with exceeding joy. I'm just going to preach what I feel in my heart here today. We're going to preach. We're going to continue on our theme here of fasting forward. But if I'm going to give you a title or a subtitle to my message today, I simply would call it this. I simply would say avoiding a fall or how to avoid a fall. If we could just lift our hands all over this place. I'm not going to be long today, but we're going to just ask the Lord to help us, to encourage us, to speak to us. In Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit. God, I thank you for your strength. God, I pray, God, that you would just, God, you would just do your will in this house, in the lives of your people. God, if you want to reorder some things in our life, if you want to change the agenda, if you want to change the schedule, God, if you want to change the plans, if you want to change the desires, Lord, have your will in my life, have your will in our life. We ask you to do it right now in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. How to avoid a fall. It's a uh, it's, uh, it's been said that of all the mental illnesses in the world today, that phobias are considered to be one of, if not the most common of all categorical mental illness. 8% of U.S. adults have some type of a phobia in their life. It's believed that women suffer from phobias more than men. And when we talk about phobias, we're talking about just a condition in which you experience symptoms such as nausea, trembling, rapid heartbeat, feelings of just this unreality, you're paranoid, being preoccupied with your fear or the object of your fear. And so phobias come in three different types of categories. There are social phobias, you're afraid of public and being in public places, being around people. There are Second kind of phobia is called agoraphobia. This is just a generalized fear to, that you would be in a situation that you can't escape. If you're in a situation where you fear just an unfavorable outcome, yet you're, you're fearful of not being able to get out of it. And then there's a third type of category. It's kind of a catch-all, and it's just specific phobias. And there are thousands of specific phobias that the... Um, uh, that's professionals, mental health, and psychiatrists have, have outlined. We could go through. There's phobias for needles, phobias for dentists, amen, phobias for the dark, anyone ever afraid of the dark. There are phobias for spiders, phobias for snakes, phobias for clowns. That's a real thing. There's even phobias for beards. It's a term called poganophobia, and people are afraid of beards. Amen. Leave that alone. Confined spaces is a phobia. But of all of the thousands of registered phobias, it is believed that all but two of these fears are learned. That in other words, that there are only two fears or two phobias that are inherent with us when we are born into this world. And those two phobias are simply the fear of loud sounds. If you have a little baby and you were to all of a sudden, before she even, or he even knows how to talk or walk or think or have learned any phobias, if you were to make a loud sound, it will startle an infant. The other phobia that they say is inherent with us is the fear of falling or the fear of heights. And, and I'll tell you, that's an accurate 
for me, that's an accurate word for me today because there are not many things in my personal life that bring me great fear, not many things that absolutely grip my soul and bring terror to my, to my whole being like the possibility of falling. Now, if you know anything about me, if my family can attest to this, that I am absolutely afraid of heights. I'm not so much afraid of needles. I'm not so much afraid of the dentist. I can deal with the dark. I don't really like snakes, but I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm afraid of them. Clowns don't really bother me. I don't really have a phobia of beards per se, but I want to tell you when I really get, what really gets me emotional, what really gets me upset is when I find myself in a situation where I feel like I am getting ready to fall. I want to tell you that it seems to be getting worse the older that I get. I, I realize as an adult that that I was, uh, that I really was becoming more and more afraid of heights. It was probably about 10 years ago. Cindy and I were at her aunt's neighborhood and we were in a we were just in the park, just walking around, and I began to walk up just a normal just playground. It was one of those kids' playgrounds, and as I got to the top, I don't know what happened to me. All of the sudden, I began to get real unsure. I began to feel unbalanced. The, the, just where I was, was started spinning, and I had a fear absolutely come over my heart. We were on vacation a couple years ago, and Jim and Brad were trying to be macho and outdo each other. I want to just tell you that when these two get on vacation, they really have this, this competitive thing. There was a couple years ago, we were in Gatlinburg, and they were literally wrestling on the ground in a public place. They were fighting and wrestling at a bounce house, and the employees had to come over and literally break them up. I've got the video of that. But, <laughs> but on another occasion, we were, down in, we were down in Florida, and we were walking around this, this public area down in Destin, and there was... In this one particular area, there was, uh, there was this little rock climbing wall. And it wasn't even as tall as like a standard rock climbing wall. And Jim was just kind of talking himself up. And Brad was talking about how he took courses at IU on rock climbing. And they were going to have a competition. And I really didn't even think anything of it. I had never climbed one of those walls before. But I'm not kidding you. I got literally, and I kid you not, probably four or five feet off of the ground. And all of a sudden, I was stuck. I don't know why I became nervous. I became anxious. The only thing I could think about is that I was going to fall. My father-in-law's beating me. My brother-in-law's beating me. But I literally was just too gripped in fear for to even move forward. I want to tell you today that, that the fear of falling, the fear of heights is a very real thing. That, that I don't feel so insecure. I don't feel bad about being afraid of heights because I want to tell you a fear of heights is a legitimate concern because of all of the fears and of all of the phobias that a person could experience, the fear of falling is a legitimate fear. Now, you can be afraid of darkness, and I respect it, and I understand it, but at the end of the day, the reality is that darkness itself can't actually harm you. That, that clowns, there may be a fear for clowns, but the reality is that, that most clowns are pretty harmless. They're not going to hurt you or harm you. You can be afraid of school and have a phobia to go to class, but, but at the end of the day, school is not going to kill you. Amen. But I want to tell you, there is a very real fear and a very real threat when it comes to falling. Because if someone were to fall, if someone were to stumble, if someone were to fall at certain heights, at the very least, the outcome 
of that fall that they are going to experience is pain. That if you fall even to the ground, if you, if you were to take even a step and fall, you're going to at the very least feel discomfort. There's falling. Falling comes with a consequence. If you were to fall from perhaps a greater height, then you're going to experience more than just pain, but, but you're going to experience some brokenness in your body. And I want to tell you that if you get up high enough and if your fall is far enough and your fall is long enough, that it's inevitable. It's, it's no negotiation. That it is without a doubt that you will experience ultimate death. I want to tell you that there is a very real concern and a very real fear when it comes to falling. And the reality is, is that that's not just true in the natural. None of us enjoy falling for it's never any fun to fall. Occasionally you lose your footing, you get off balance, you stumble and you fall. But the reality is the only thing that I can think of that's worse than falling naturally or falling physically, it would be to experience a spiritual fall. I want to tell you today, that I've come to preach to somebody today, to this church, to, to, to preach to you, to let you know that we have to guard ourselves, that we have to prepare ourselves, and that we have to brace ourselves from the very real possibility of falling spiritually. It was Paul who said that when you think you stand tall, you better watch yourself. You better just make sure you're footing sure lest you fall. You see, from the very beginning in Genesis, from the days of Adam and Eve, the the creation of God, man has had an issue with falling. From the very beginning when God spoke to Adam and Eve in that garden and he gave them the option to either serve me and to eat from the tree of life or to choose to disobey me and to eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that mankind has always had an issue and a proclivity with falling. I want to tell you it was from that day that Adam and Eve took that apple and decided that they were going to take matters into their own hands and while they knew the will of God and while they knew the plan of God and while they had heard God speak to them nevertheless they were tempted and they ultimately gave into their temptation took that apple and fell into sin and it was that sin that the Bible regards refers to as our original sin because it was that original sin of Eve and that original sin of Adam that resulted not just in their spiritual demise and in their spiritual decline but it was that sin that passed onto every man. For by death, sin entered into one man and thereby passed unto all. I want to tell you, it is sin that ultimately is what separates us from God. It is sin that ultimately is a reproach to our life. It's sin that brings not just pain and not just brokenness, but it is sin that ultimately will bring death. I want to tell you today that sin is our greatest concern. Sin is what causes us to fall. The word sin literally means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. It means that you've missed the point. You've missed the target. You've fallen short of the glory of God. That no matter who you are or where you're from or, or what your background is, that when you suffer a physical fall, at the very least, you're going to suffer pain. The same is true spiritually. At the very least, every sin is going to bring pain. It was sin that drove our Savior to that cross on Calvary. It was sin that caused His blood to be shed. Blood to be shed. It was sin that 
caused him to put that crown of thorns on his head. And it was sin that buried him in that tomb. At the very least, I want to tell you, sin will always bring pain. But if you fall far enough, that pain is going to be amplified. And it's that fall that's going to cause brokenness. I want to tell you today, I've seen too many times sin enter into a family. Sin enter into a relationship. Sin enter into a life. And the devastation is just terrible. Broken homes and broken marriages and broken lives and broken ministries and broken futures and broken purposes and ultimately if that fall is far enough and if there is no mediation for that sin we all know that the eventual outcome of every sin is death for all the wages of sin is death I want to tell you today that we have to be weary of sin we have to be apparent and, and, and aware of sin in our life. For Paul said that be, when you think you stand tall, be careful lest you fall. For no temptation has taken you except for that which is common to man. But the interesting thing about sin, what's interesting about sin, just like what's interesting about falling, is that there are varying degrees of falls and there are varying degrees of sin. I want you to take a look at what John says in the book of 1 John chapter 5. He says that all unrighteousness is sin. And there is, not, there is sin that does not, get this, there is some sin that does not lead to death. He goes on, he says, For we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. John is giving us a seemingly contradicting statement because we find throughout the Bible in the book of Romans and in other portions of Scripture where Paul says that all of the wages of sin and death, for we have all sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God and that the ultimate outcome of sin is spiritual death. But John is telling us that there are some sins that do not lead to death. In other words, what John is saying, allow me to explain it, is that John is speaking to the believer. He's speaking to the Christian. He's speaking to the person that has been born again, that has repented of their sins, that has come to an altar and given their life to Christ and has surrendered their life and their will and their purpose to the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. They've gone down in the waters of baptism for the remission of those sins and God has led them, filled them with the Spirit to let them live an overcoming life to overcome their sins. And he says, if you've been born again, there is some sin that does not lead to death. He says, because there is a spirit within us that, uh, that causes us to no longer desire sin. And when we come to Christ in repentance of sin, confessing our sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, who is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to tell you that apart from Jesus, there is a sin. Every sin will lead to death. That along the way to death, it causes pain, it causes brokenness, it causes destruction, and and ultimately it leads to death. But when we come to an altar and we repent of our sins and we give our sins to Christ, that there is a blood that washes us and redeems us and forgives us. I want to tell you today that while all sin leads to death, there is some sin that can be forgiven, that only through the blood of Jesus Christ can we find the remission of our sin. But what is that sin John refers to that leads to death. I want to tell you today that the sin that ultimately leads to death is the type of sin that is without 
repentance. You see, when God filled you with the Spirit, when you repented of your sins, when you were baptized in Jesus' name, when you were born again, the Bible says that God took that old heart out of you. He took that old spirit, that old man, that old lifestyle, those old desires that used to want to live contrary to the will of God. There was a time in your life where you didn't enjoy the Word of God. There was a time in your life where you didn't want to go to church. There was a time in your life when you made fun of Christians and church people. But when you came to Christ and surrendered your heart to God, one of the miraculous things about the new birth is that God gave you a conversion in Him. You became a new creature that He literally performed a spiritual operation on your heart. And what He did is He took out that old desire, that old enmity against God, that old stubbornness, that old man, that old person that used to want to do it His way and do it only His way that was stubborn, that had His own agenda. And God gave you a new heart and a new desire to serve God and so the Bible tells us that if we love God then we will forsake our sin and so the only sin that goes leads ultimately to death for a believer is unrepentant sin this brings us to our text here in Isaiah chapter 58 just hang with me the Bible tells us that the Lord spoke a word to Isaiah the Bible tells us that it was Isaiah that was a mighty prophet of God. He was perhaps one of the most well-known, most powerful of God's prophets. He lived in about 700 years before Jesus Christ, and he, he endured a 60-year ministry of preaching, teaching, and prophesying to the children of Israel in a time when it was not easy to live for God. He was preaching in a time where the nation of Israel, that northern kingdom, was backsliding, and they were on their way to destruction and defeat. And Isaiah's ministry was to cry out, to lift his voice, and to speak to them about the impending judgment of that northern kingdom, that God was not pleased with their lifestyle, that God was not pleased with their commitment, that God was not pleased with their life. And he begins to speak to Isaiah to give them a word that they need to, that his people need to realize that the reason that judgment is coming is because there is a there is a fundamental problem within his people that there's this spiritual condition in the lives of his church in the lives of his old testament saints that there is this spiritual condition prevalent among the people of god that unless they deal with that there's ultimately going to come destruction in their life and so he says in Isaiah chapter 58, he gets to the place where he says, here's the problem, if you could pull that up. He says, my people delight in me. He said, that's not the problem. They enjoy my word. They delight in my ways. They delight to know me. They, draw, they even draw near to me. My people pray. My people fast. But the simple problem, the fundamental problem that's taking place in my church is that although they enjoy me, although they delight in me, although at the surface level they serve me, my people have gotten to a place where although they delight in my word, my word no longer changes them. He said the problem that we have in the church is that that it's not just that they don't come to church. It's not just that they don't enjoy the word. It's not just that they don't enjoy the fellowship. It's not just that they don't enjoy the preaching. The problem is, is that the preaching no longer affects their life. The preaching no longer transforms their character. The word of God no longer makes an impact on my life, on their life. 
And so I need you to cry out, Isaiah. I need you to not hold back. I need you to lift your voice. I need you to declare to my people their transgression and the sin of Jacob. I want to just come today to lift my voice and say that God forbid that we as a believer, as believers ever get to a place in our life where we are no longer sensitive or responsive to the word of God in our life. That church has become more of a ritual than a difference maker in our life. That reading scripture is more more of a hobby than a holy word of God in our life. God forbid that we ever get so accustomed to going through the motions and just going to church and just living our Christian lifestyle that we're no longer sensitive to the life-changing word of God in our life. That ought to be a place where we have put our hands together and just give the Lord some praise right now. We can never get ourselves to a place where we become content in our spiritual condition or in all of the doing and all of the going and all of the coming and all of the just going to church and going through the motions, we no longer allow ourselves and have the capacity for God's word to transform our life. It was James who said this, be doers of the word. He said, not just hearers only deceiving yourselves for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what he was like. I want to tell you that in this time of prayer and fasting, this time of seeking and sacrifice, we need to realign ourselves with the reality that God is a God that is a consuming fire and God wants to transform us and God wants to shape us and God wants to do a work in our life. Don't you ever get to a place where you think you've heard it all or you've learned it all or that God's done dealing with you. I don't care if you've been in the church eight minutes or 80 years, God still has a purpose. God still has a plan and God still wants to accomplish his will in your life. So God says, Isaiah, my people are seeking me. My people delight in me. My people enjoy my word. But here's the deal. So they're going about some things the wrong way. And it's ultimately leading to their spiritual fall, their failure. And so he says in Isaiah chapter 58, there are four basic things that my people need to consider that will help them avoid falling. I don't know about you today, but I want to avoid falling today. I want to avoid. I don't like to get in a position where I'm where I'm not steady, where my footing is not secure, but I want to tell you that Isaiah gives us four things that if we will do, if we will obey, if we will incorporate into our life that we will avoid falling. The very first thing that Isaiah gives us here is he says in verse 5, he says you've got to humble yourself and pray. He says is this such a fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself is it to bow down his head? like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him. Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? In other words, what Isaiah is saying here is that when you come to God, you need to come to God humbly. You need to surrender yourself. You need to be sensitive to God, that you don't come to God treating him like a genie in the body. You don't bottle. You don't come to God just thinking that you've got leverage over him, that, that you're entitled to just, that God's just entitled to do whatever you want whenever you want, but there has to be some holy reverence that has to come over his church. There has to be some surrender that comes over his church that when you come to to God and seeking and in sacrifice that you need to humble yourself, bow down your face, put sackcloth and ashes under you and surrender your heart to God. I want to tell you the greatest dynamic of worship 
is not just necessarily how loud we clap and how great of our music is or how, how talented we are, but I want to tell you the greatest dynamic of worship is heartfelt surrender. That when we come into the house of God, that we ought to come into his house ready to surrender through worship where we say, God, not my will. Lord, I magnify you. I, I love you. I worship you. I surrender my heart and my life to your will because God desires and delights in a contrite heart in a heart that will surrender to his will. I want to tell you today, we need a fresh baptism of sensitivity to the will of God. We need a fresh baptism of humility when we come into God's presence. We need a fresh baptism when we walk into the house of God. We need to recognize that this is a holy house, that, that we need to come in here humbly, that this is a hallowed place. This is where God meets us. We need to walk reverently and, and humbly. We need to honor God in the house of God and recognize that God desires to be humble in his presence. Second thing he says here, he says in verse 6, he says, here's what you need to do. Once you get yourself off your high horse and you humble yourself in my presence, then here's what you need to recognize about my will. That it's my will that you loose the bonds of wickedness in your life to undo the straps of the yoke and to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. He goes on to say, take the yoke and move it far from you. Remove it from your life. In other words, what Isaiah is saying here is that God is communicating to his people that there's a problem. That you're coming to my house, you're worshiping, you're clapping, you're singing, your hand, you're, you're, you're doing all these things, but you've lost touch with true repentance you don't think God is still seeking to make transformation in your life. You don't, you don't, you're not sensitive to what God wants to do in your life. You read the word because it's, it's become a hobby to you. It's become a pastime to you. you. You come to church because it's the thing to do, but you fail to recognize that when we come into God's presence and God speaks a word that there needs to be a response from his people, that when we hear his word, that God is trying to bring transformation and obedience into our life. And Isaiah says that the very first thing you need to recognize is that when you come to me there needs to be repentance in your life loose the bonds that bind you there are things here that Isaiah is saying there are things in your life that are they've just wrapped themselves around you that's the that's the the the, the uh, the imagery he's giving us. There's things that have restricted you. There are things that are that are just so tight around your life, so tight around your desires, so tight around your emotions, so tight around your thinking. He said that it's inhibiting you from truly allowing God to do a work in your life. He says that you need to begin to loosen those straps that are that are choking out the purpose and the plan and the will of God. I want to tell you that in this time of prayer and fasting, more than anything, that we need to create space in our life, create margin in our life to be able to get a word from God, that there needs to be time in our day and in our hours where we are taking time and making time to seek God's will through prayer and through the study of his word. God wants to speak into our life, but we've got to remove the yokes. We've got to remove the strongholds. We've got to remove the relationships, the bonds, the things, the pressures that are causing God not to have what he wants to do in our life come to pass. Loosen the straps that bind you. It was in Isaiah chapter 6 as Isaiah was beginning to receive his call the Bible tells us that Isaiah was, saw a vision of the Lord and he was high and lifted up and the train of his temple, train filled the temple and he saw angels 
seraphims just surrounding the Lord and they were crying out, holy, holy, holy. And God calls Isaiah in this, in this heavenly vision and this angel takes this, this coal from the altar and he begins to place it on Isaiah's mouth and he burns out, the purges out the iniquity in him. And it was here that Isaiah recognized and realized that I've got to have some repentance. There's got to be some transformation in my life before I can fulfill the calling of God. And he says here that he says, woe unto me and to my people who are people of unclean lips that sometimes we just need to allow God to make aware some things in our life that he wants to purge, that he wants to deal with, that he wants to work on. Is there anyone that says, God, have your way in my life. God, have your will in my life. Please transform me, Lord, to your image. The third thing he says here, get this. This is convicting for me. The third thing that you need to do is you need to get your focus off yourself. Quit being selfish and to get your focus back on those who are less fortunate than you. He says, it's not to share your, is it not this fast that I've called a time for you to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own selfishness, your own carnality. Don't just avoid the, the, the dilemmas in your life. Don't just avoid the needs in your life. In other words, Isaiah is saying this is a time for you to get your focus off of yourself and realize that there are people in your life that you need to serve, that you need to love, that you need, that God needs you to, to reach out to, that God needs you to help, that this is a time for you to break out of your own selfishness and to get your focus on the fact that there are other people that have greater problems in you, bigger struggles in you, greater situations in you, and that God has blessed you, God has made a way for you, and that you've given and he's given you the opportunity to reach out a helping hand to those who are in need. I want to tell you today that we need to get our eyes off of ourself, get our eyes off of our agenda, get our eyes off of our us, our little four and no more, and to realize and recognize that part of the will of God for our life is that we would be the light upon a hill, that we would reach out to this world, that we would make sure that we're giving to those who are in need. We need to go the extra mile. We need to be a blessing to this world. I want to tell you it is part of the will of God. God is interested in when people begin to take time to, to, to serve others. One of the greatest things that I could say, one of the greatest principles of this church, and one of the greatest just parts of what I would say I want to be the fabric of this church is that we are a church that serves. I want to tell you today, part of our time of prayer and fasting is that we need to get our attention off of ourselves and get our attention onto others. Finally is this. Is that we need to recommit ourselves to the Lord's day. This was Isaiah's list here. This was God's list. That you need to humble yourself and pray. You need, to be, you need to honor God and just recognize His sovereign in your life. You need a healthy fear of God. You need to loosen the straps that bind you. You need to break the bonds of wickedness and transgression in your life. The things that are holding you back. The things that are keeping you bound. The strongholds in your life. You need to loosen those and remove those things in your life. You need to get your focus off yourself and begin thinking about others. And fourth, he says, you need to re recommit yourself to the Lord's day. Now, in the Old Testament, he was referring to the Sabbath. Today, he's referring to coming to church, just, just, just honoring God, the Lord's day, coming together. In verse 13 and 14, look, look at what he says. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, 
if you honor it not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly. In other words, he said, then you shall, he said, then you shall take delight in the Lord. He's a, in other words, he's saying God had established a holy day. It was the Lord's day. It was God's Sabbath day. It was God's holy day. And he said, you get so busy, you get so preoccupied, you just, you get caught up in so many other things. Your foot has turned from observing the Lord's day. And he says, if you really want to delight in the Lord, if you really want to ride on the heights of the earth, if you really want, want to, if you want me to feed you with the heritage of Jacob, and he says, you need to get committed back to the Lord's day. You need to honor God's house. You need to honor God's day. I want to tell you in 2021, we've seen some months and a season unlike anything else. We've seen times where we couldn't even come to the house of the Lord. We've seen situations where I never thought we would see where the doors of the church had to be closed. But I want to tell you in 2021, that we need to recommit ourselves and rededicate ourselves to being in the house of the Lord. Church needs to be our priority. I want to tell you today, it's not always easy. It's not always convenient. It's not always fun. Sometimes your puppy wakes you up five times in the middle of the night. Your kid can't sleep. you got three kids in your bed by the time you wake up. But I want to tell you, nevertheless, we've made up our mind that when church is open, we're going to be in the house of the Lord. We just need a good old-fashioned recommitment to God's house today. We just need a good old-fashioned revival of prayer, a good old-fashioned revival of repentance, a good old-fashioned revival of compassion for the needy in this church, in this community, and in our personal lives. And I want to tell you that if we will, if we will obey God's agenda, if we will follow God's plan, if we will follow God's purpose in 2021, I want to tell you that there is going to be a revival, there is going to be an outpouring, there's going to be a move, there's going to be answer to prayer. God's going to bring faith God's going to move in this place. I want to tell you, God is going to do a work in our midst if we will obey his plan. Stand with me tonight, today. You know, I think we need to be willing to allow God to change some direction in our life. You know, I have a horrible fear of heights, as I mentioned. And for some reason, I, time to time, I just seem to forget how absolutely terrified of high places I am. In this past month, we went down to Gatlinburg just for a little time away. And I was looking for things to do to just entertain the family. And there's this park there called Anakista and it's a sky lift it's like a ski lift on the mountains up to the top of this mountain and I don't know what I was thinking <laughs> that looks like fun we got there, we got in line it was about a 45 minute wait we had breakfast, we're having a good time and you know, I, I had been on things before, and they're like maybe 10 feet off the ground. But this literally, I'm not kidding you, hundreds of feet off the ground. And I, I didn't realize what I was doing, and I didn't even think about it. And Cindy says to me, like, are you not afraid right now? I mean, I can't believe we're doing this. Yeah, I'm not worried about it. I didn't really, still wasn't even thinking about it. And we get to the point where that little chair comes and it just like sweeps you off of your feet 
and you think they're going to stop it and they're going to lock you in and they're going to put a life vest on you and you're going to get a parachute and you're going to get a helicopter. They don't do any of that. You literally just stand on the line and that thing comes and just knocks your feet and you sit down and they, there's not even a latch. It just The bar just comes down. I'm telling you, as soon as that took me about three feet off the ground and I realized that there was no lock on that gate, it was me and the boys right here. Cindy and Jude were behind me. I'm telling you, sheer panic. I, I, not, I haven't had a worse experience in a long time. And at first, Max was a little concerned, but I immediately shut my eyes. And I, we were going up, and the boys just started having a good time, and they were just like swinging their legs, and I was yelling at them to stop, and I was... My eyes are closed. I'm praying in Jesus' name. I mean, literally. The, at one point, I opened my eyes for a minute, and we were so far off the ground. There's this huge ravine, and there's a car passing down underneath us. And I look over, and the people are like looking at me because my eyes are closed, and they could tell I'm seriously scared. And I realized, man, I'm, I'm too far off the ground here. I've gotten away from where I'm comfortable. I'm not, I don't feel safe right now. I could fall here. It's going to be more than pain. It's going to be more than brokenness. It could ultimately cause my demise. And we got to the top of that thing. Thank God we got to the top. And I said to Cindy, there is no way I'm going back. I will roll down this mountain. I'm not kidding you. I will roll down this mountain before I get back on that death trap. I'm serious. I, I was shaken up. And we talked to the employees. There was a shuttle that would take you down, and we, we took the shuttle down. And I just simply say that to say that sometimes in life that God wants to do a course correction. And you get yourself to a place one way, and you realize this is not the way I intended it. This is not the way I want it to go, that you need to be willing to allow God to create an alternative means the Bible says, for no temptation has taken us that which is common to man, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted above that which you can bear, and He will in all situations provide a way of escape. I want to tell you that you're never going to get too caught up into temptation, too caught up into sin, too caught up in a lifestyle, too caught up into something that God is not faithful to allow you to make a way of escape, and the way of escape is through repentance, it's through contrition, it's through calling out to God. So this time of prayer and fasting, I want us to take inventory of our lives here today. Now, I know I'm talking to a mixed crowd, and we've got people in all different places in their walk with God, but here's what I'm getting ready to do. I want us to have just an old-fashioned altar call. I want us to come to this altar. And if there's sin in your life, I want to just tell you today that sin is going to at least cause you pain. It's likely going to cause brokenness and ultimately Unless you repent of that sin, it's going to bring death. There's been a lot of good preachers. There's been a lot of good people. There's been a lot of good husbands. There's been a lot of good dads. There's been a lot of good moms. There's been a lot of good grandmas that allowed things into their life. Bitterness, discouragement, temptation, whatever it is. that caused them, ripped them away from the will of God. They never intended to backslide, but it happened. And unless we allow ourselves to be convicted and sensitive to the will of God, we could fall.
But then there's other of us, others of us in this place here today. And like Isaiah, he was prophesying to a people who they were faithful to church. They were faithful to the temple. They were they delighted in the laws of the Lord. They, for, on some level, they they enjoyed being a Jew. They enjoyed being a Christian. They enjoyed being in the church. But there was something fundamentally flawed in the relationship with God, and it was that they simply had lost touch with the reality and the sensitivity for God's Spirit to transform their life. I mean, no, you get to a place you just. Going to the altar was for when you were at youth camp. Going to the altar was when I was a first Christian. Now I've just kind of just settled into how I'm going to live. But God says, no, 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 you need to be sensitive. And when I speak into your life, you need to respond. I think we need a good old-fashioned just sensitivity to God's will today. And finally, for some of us, we've come to this time of perhaps prayer and fasting, seeking and sacrifice. We brought our agenda, our will, our plan, our program, and God says, no, 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 you need to humble yourself. And more than anything in your life, more than a new job, more than a new car, more than more money, more than the, 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 the dream spouse, you need to make sure that you're getting in touch with my purpose and my plan, my direction and my will for your life. I wonder if we could come forward today, if, if we could just make our way into this altar we could just begin to respond to the word of the Lord here today. I want us just to lift our hands towards heaven. You know, the interesting thing about that, that sky lift up is that took probably a good 20 minutes to get up there. My way originally took much longer but when I got to the top of that mountain and I reevaluated and reassessed my situation I realized that there's a much quicker way to get down that shuttle took just a few minutes and we may come to God in prayer and seeking and we may think we've got figured out what God wants to do but when we get to a place where we finally are able to hear from God God may have another path than what we ever thought or ever anticipated or ever expected and we need to be able to hear God's voice today can we lift our hands? I know this is a little different this morning.